So we've been doing this series looking at worship, exploring what does it mean to worship. Um, and my task this morning is to look a little bit at how do we worship. Um, but I thought perhaps it might be good for us to have a bit of a recap. If you heard um, what Mike or James shared in the last few weeks, perhaps in small groups you've been discussing this a little bit. Um, in order to look at how we worship, we first need to remember or understand what worship is. So your first task um, for this part of this morning uh, is to answer that question, what is worship? And I know that that is not necessarily straightforward, but perhaps for some of you, you immediately can summarise that in a few words. Um, hopefully, a lot of them have fallen off, but hopefully on the back of your seat, there are a couple of post-its. And there are also some pens scattered around. Um, there is going to be another question later, so that's why you've got more than one post-it. Um, what I would love you to do is, you can discuss it if you'd like to, or you can do this on your own, is to try and summarise in just a couple of words or a phrase an answer to that question, what is worship? And then come and stick it on the clipboard here, because I want to hear what everyone else in the room uh, has to say, rather than you just hearing from me this morning. So I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes um, to do that. What is worship is your first question. Thanks, guys. So I'm sorry if I don't read out every single thing that we've got, um, but I will do my best to summarise some of the things we've got. So what is worship? Worship is adoration. It's abandoning yourself to God. It's loving God, expressing reverence to God. It's a serving heart. It's glorifying God. Serving God in everything we do. It's our daily life. It's all the things that we do that bring honour to God. It's giving all of us. It's a gift from God and to God. It's a life lived for God. It's being silent. It's sitting still. It's dancing. It's to honour and to give respect. It's an act of service. It is thanksgiving. It's expressing an extravagant love. It's giving ourselves in worship through loving God. I think you get the idea, and there's lots of themes going on there. And um, I hope that's helpful, just as a recap. I don't think this is something that, for most of us in the room, we've not ever thought about before. Hopefully, the fact that we're here means that we have some understanding of what worship is, because part of the reason that we're here, in fact, the main reason that we're here, is to worship. So... How do we do that is the question that we're asking this morning. I'm going to make the camera really annoying and walk back over here now. <laughs> um, how do we worship then? If that's what worship is, how do we do that? And surprise, surprise, this morning is not going to be a how-to guide, step-by-step step of how you live out those things, how you worship, um, because we know that that's not how it works. Worship is much less about what we do, and far more about how we do it in terms of our heart's posture, our heart's approach, and it's about who we do it for. So for example, when you enter into a relationship, perhaps in a marriage situation, um, I mean, maybe others did, but you don't get given a how-to guide, step-by-step, step. here's all the things you need to do. In order to love your wife, you need to make coffee every morning, although that does help 
and I appreciate it very much. But that's not what it looks like when you get married. No one, no one says, here are all the different steps that you need to do. And you tick all of these off, you will have succeeded. And in the same way this morning, this isn't going to be, here are 10 things that you need to do that are really practical steps. And we're all going to do the same things, and that's what worship looks like. Because the reality is it looks different for all of us. So instead, we're going to think a bit about the posture of our heart, about what our heart's approach needs to be in how we worship. And there's a story in the Bible about Mary of Bethany, which is going to help us explore this question. And it's a story that actually features multiple times. Um, And we're going to read it, well, Mike's going to read it for me from Matthew's account. So if you've got a physical Bible or a Bible on your phone, um, if you want to open up to Matthew 26, um, and it's going to be on the screen as well. There we go. Um, So the whole chapter, I think, is 1 to 16, but we're just going to focus on these few verses. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money been given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured the perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell it to you, wherever this gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Okay. This might be a story that you're familiar with. It may not be. Um, But when I think of a picture of what worship looks like, this is the story that comes to mind for me. Um, And what I want us to do now is just to take a moment. I'm afraid there's another post-it. So if you manage to hold on to one, you can come and write an answer up. Otherwise, you can just think about this. Um, My question for you is, if we were to put ourselves in Mary's shoes in this story, how do you think that she was feeling? Um, I'll leave it up on the screen. What words, word, phrase would you describe um, as to how Mary might be feeling in this story? I'm just going to give us a minute of kind of quiet to think about that. And then um, if you have a post-it and a pen still, do come and write um, your next one up and we'll have a look at what we think. Okay. I'm sure that if you haven't stuck one up yet, um, it's either because you don't have one or you're just thinking something brilliant in your head. But um, I'm going to... Oh, well done, Steve. Um, Let's have a little look at what we've got. Um, So lots, again, about adoration, gratitude full of love, an extravagant love, awestruck. In this story, Mary is um, pouring out, in a very physical sense with perfume, but also in her act, love for Jesus. There are some other words on here that I think are really interesting and helpful. We've got vulnerable, scared, overwhelmed. She was walking into a room where actually she wasn't welcome. And yet she still chose to express the love that she had in the way that she did. The others saw it as waste. They said, why on earth are you doing this? But Mary chose to do it anyway 
because of that love and that adoration that she had. We've got a few others here about the fact that actually this is just in the time where Jesus is about to die. He's been prepared for his burial. And actually that context is really important to this story, isn't it? Because Mary's act was really significant. The timing of it was significant. She was pouring out this love a few days before Jesus poured out his love for us. It was a planned act, perhaps, because she came with the perfume. And actually, I imagine that because it's only a few days, and it says in the story that the whole room smelled of this perfume, in fact, the whole house, that perhaps when Jesus went to the cross, he still smelled like this perfume. I don't know, but I like the idea of that. Thank you very much. I mean, there's no more post-its. We're pleased to know. <laughs> So I'm just going to take us through a few points. They're not a how-to guide, but there are, I think I have eight, if for those of you who like to know where we're heading, they're all very short um, points of what does our heart's posture need to be to answer this question, how do we worship? Because this woman, Mary's demonstration of elaborate love towards Jesus, in my eyes, is an example of true and authentic and extravagant worship. And I think there's a few things that we can learn from that this morning. Point number one, our worship should focus on Jesus. It's not about creating a vibe or an atmosphere or having a big band or singing songs or perhaps any of the things that quite often as church we try to do to create times of worship. Worship is about facilitating a space where people can meet Jesus particularly in this, the corporate setting that we have here. It's about facilitating a space where we can meet with Jesus. And in fact, we often, and I, these things are important, but we try very hard as church to create a very welcoming environment. We try and get things just right so that there's no distractions, so that people can enter in. Um, actually, the room that Mary walked into was not welcoming. She walked into a group of people who judged her for what she did, didn't agree with what she did, didn't understand it. And yet she worshipped. And that tells me that actually if our heart's posture is right for worship and our love for Jesus is there, it doesn't really matter the circumstance. Um, actually, this morning is quite a good example of that. And perhaps you've visited other churches over the years, being part of worship that looks different. It doesn't really matter. It does matter what we do. And that's why we work hard to do well. But it doesn't really matter what the activity is, what the songs are, if we come expectant to worship. And that's why I think some of my best times of worship have been at home or in the car. There haven't been these big festivals or kind of massive stages. Although I love being able to go to places like that where you can sing and jump and dance up and all that kind of stuff. But actually doesn't really matter the context if our hearts are ready to worship and to focus on Jesus. Second, we should give all we have in worship. Um, well, I did have a demonstration, but it's in my bag, so I'll just have to describe it to you. Um, I keep getting these little free sample things from my sister-in-law of different face creams, and the pots are about this big, and if you get the big pots, they're really, really expensive. 
um, and she sent them to me as a little pick-me-up thing in lockdown. And I have managed to make a pot of face cream that is this big last for most of lockdown by only on very, very special occasions using the tiniest, tiniest bit because I don't want to use up this really expensive thing that I got given because I know I'm never going to buy the bigger one, but I really like it. And um, I was thinking about that. I think I should, it's probably time to let go. <laughs> it's the first thing that that tells us. But actually, that's not what Mary does. She has this perfume that is a year's worth of salary and pours it all on Jesus. I don't think that Jesus wants our worship to be like me with my face cream. Just using it very sparingly, only on special occasions, really trying to eke it out. I think he wants our worship to be extravagant like Mary. To be way over the top more that other people might see as waste. He wants us to give everything that we have. Next thing, worship should cost us something. I think that authentic worship is a transformed heart that expresses itself regardless of the cost. Um, I've got a little video, it's just a minute long, that hopefully we can get work, which is from uh, Tim Hughes, who's a worship leader, songwriter. He wrote stuff like, here I am to worship, happy day, you'll, you'll probably know who he is. This is the minute of him telling a little story um, that comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 21 about what it looks like for costly worship. If our worship doesn't cost us anything, ultimately, is it really worship? I found that very challenging when I first saw that. Okay, next. Our worship shouldn't be hindered by fear of judgment from others. Again, this morning, for me, was a really good example of this, because one of the things that I find really hard in church is feeling free to express myself purely because I think, well, if I start dancing or if I start doing something that looks a little bit socially abnormal people are going to look at me and even this morning I wonder whether there are some of us who sat in our seats thinking well James did say I could just sit in my seat so I'm not going to get up because then people will look and see which station I'm going to it's funny isn't it maybe that's just me um but we kind of get in our own heads a bit about some of this stuff and I don't think that's what worship is meant to be like so Mary was in an uninvited space, firstly. She was being judged by the others around her. And yet she chose to kiss Jesus' feet. She chose to wipe her hair on him. And firstly, within this cultural context, a woman would never let down her hair. So that's already something that um, for her was massive, that she did that, that perhaps we lose in our modern day context. But... um, Yeah, I wonder what the equivalent of that would have been this morning. But to get down and to kiss Jesus' feet, to do things that were odd to the people around her, that others would have been looking at her and thinking, what on earth is she doing? But we can't worship like Mary. We can't worship authentically and extravagantly until our love for Jesus and our understanding of what he's done for us outweigh our fear of what others think of us. If we are worshipping in the context of fear of, do I look funny? Do I sound funny? What will others think of me? We won't be able to be authentic and extravagant in the way that we worship. 
our worship shouldn't expect a return. Um, I was chatting to a friend the other day who used to work in a really, really nice bakery in uh, Clifton Village. Um, and she was saying that she used to get lots and lots of invites to parties, birthday parties particularly. Um, and sometimes she'd be, yeah, it's a good friend, great. Other times she just had this suspicion that perhaps the reason that she was being invited is because the bakery that she worked for often had these elaborate, beautiful, bespoke cakes that ended up not being picked up by the owner and therefore left over and needed to be taken to somewhere else that could use them. And so she realized quite cotton on to the fact that she was getting invited to all these places. And then people go, oh, I don't suppose there's any, there's any nice cakes left over that need using. And um, the reality is she loved the fact that she had all these cakes that she could take to places because that's an amazing blessing. And through lockdown, she used to come and stand on someone's doorstep with an amazing cake when we couldn't go out and see each other. That sounds really great. But sometimes people were inviting her because they expected to be able to then get one of these freebies. I wonder whether we sometimes come to worship with an expectation of a return from Jesus. Because we should worship because he is worthy. We should worship because he's worthy of our worship. But actually, the reality is we do get a return when we worship. That's not why we ought to. But for Mary in this circumstance, as she poured out, she wasn't expecting anything in return from Jesus. And yet she received from him forgiveness and grace and the knowledge that her story would be told as an example to all of the people going forward. So we don't expect that return, but actually that is something that we receive when we authentically worship. Okay, we're on number six, for those of you who are keeping track. Our worship should flow from a heart of love, passion, and gratitude. This is like an easy, the world knows this one, that if you are grateful and you make a list of 10 things you're thankful for, you're going to feel better, right? And we can be in the worst of circumstances, but if we practice gratitude, that's something that changes the posture of our heart. And that's a place that our worship should flow from because reality is we don't always feel like worshipping. But our worship, when stirred by gratitude, is going to cause us to praise. It's going to stir a response in us. Number seven, our worship should equip us to make a difference wherever we are. I've got a quote here from um, the director of the Church of England Relations at LICC, in case anyone was interested in where I got it from. Um, she's called Lynn, Lynn Weston, and she says this, Our worship, if it is authentic, will be pleasing to God, and it will energize, inspire, and equip us for his purposes for us in every aspect of our life. In it, we will be renewed in the love of Christ, a love that will create in us a compassion beyond our own strength, that will overflow and have an impact on the lives of others in our everyday lives whatever we do, wherever we are and all the time. And that's what some of the post-its were talking about, wasn't it? That worship is our whole life. It should impact every area of our life and it should equip us to make a difference wherever we are. Um, that quote, if you're interested, comes from a book 
that is called Why Worship, and it was put together um, in connection with Spring Harvest, and it's got loads of different worship leaders, people involved in worship, um, who all contributed in different ways. If anyone's interested in that, I do have a copy. I think Debbie also has a copy. Um, so feel free to, well, I've just assumed, but feel free to borrow from Debbie, all right? Um, <laughs> um, if you want to read a little bit more about some of this stuff, there's some real wisdom, particularly speaking into what worship looks like now in this context, post-pandemic, because that was the time that they were kind of speaking into. Okay. Finally then, our worship will lack authenticity if we don't practice justice in our everyday lives. There's a story, I don't think I've put it, let's just check. No. Uh, there's a story in Amos, and this is in chapter 5, verse 21 to 24. Um, and I'll just read a little bit to you. As we read God talking to the Israelites, and he says this, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your heart. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In this passage, Israel's failure to practice justice outside of their gatherings makes the worship inside their gatherings offensive to God. He's saying, take these songs and this noise away from me. That's a challenge, isn't it? If we don't carry with us a Christian responsibility to ensure justice is done, how do we then present ourselves before God as we worship? I don't think it's enough to worship when we gather in a context like this or in our small groups. We also need to worship when we scatter, as we look after those in need, as we go into everyday weeks. Because our extravagant love for Jesus that Mary examples in this story should overflow into worship and through our worship into action. And I think we know that there's a biblical premise that, that words and faith without action is dead. I wonder whether also perhaps if we worship but don't have action, then our worship isn't pleasing to God. I'll leave that with you to think about. We're going to finish with um, another one-minute clip. Um, and this is from another worship leader. She's called Brooke Liggettwood. At least I think that's how you say her surname. I've always read it as Lightwood until this week. Um, you'll recognize her voice from What a Beautiful Name and other such tunes. <laughs> and um, it's just a one minute talking about authenticity. And then I've got um, some reflection questions that we're just going to sit for a couple of minutes to think about in regards to some of this. And then we'll finish with a few songs. So I've just got these reflection questions for you. Um, that all link to the things that I just said. Um, and we're just going to take a couple of minutes. We're going to listen to a song as we um, as we think about these things. It's called Alabaster Jar. It's by Wren Collective. And it's telling this song tells the story of Mary anointing Jesus. But our questions, does my worship focus on Jesus? Do I give my all in worship? Does worship cost me something? Does my fear of judgment from others hinder my worship? Am I motivated to worship simply in order to get a return from God? 
Does my worship flow from a heart of love, passion, and gratitude? Does my worship equip me to make a difference in my everyday life? Is my worship accompanied by practicing justice? Perhaps you want to look at each of those in turn, or maybe there's just one question that stands out to you as I was speaking that you thought, yeah, that's the thing that I need to think about a bit more. But we're just going to spend a couple of minutes listening to this song, have a look at those questions, and then um, Dames is going to come back up, or Ian, whoever it is, to um, lead us in a few songs.